you know, last week, how many were here last week? Any of you were here last week? You know, let me just recap a little bit for those of you that weren't, though. You know, we we looked at the movie Matrix, and we were really talking about living on the other side of the cross, and what does that really mean? And, you know, and, and, and in the movie, The Matrix, there's a scene where they have a blue pill and a red pill. You take the blue pill and you stay in the world that you have. You wake up in bed the next morning and things go on just like they always went on. And you live in the world that you want to believe. You take the red pill and the story was you go down the rabbit hole and you see how deep it really is, how far down into wonderland you go. We looked at the point of when you take the blue pill and you just want to stay in the realm of the world that we have, you're just living on the front side of the cross. And what I mean by that is, you know, you see the symbol of the cross. Everybody knows, almost around the world knows what that symbol is. And many people know who hung on that cross. Okay, but so many people never go past the face of that cross. They may bow a knee. They may give their life to Christ. And that's as far as they go. They get their salvation. And, but they never walk, even as Jeff would talk about, on the other side, in the eternal. They never walk in all the promises that God has for each and every one of us. They never take the red pill. Because, you know, in this book here, there's thousands and thousands of promises. And a promise is only as good as the person that gives it to you. Amen? And can I tell you, Jesus keeps his word, and his promises are true, and they're all in here for you. They're here. You know, remember, this is not a book of rules and regulations. Okay, this is a book of reconciliation. It's not a book of do's and don'ts. This book from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden until, and it starts in the Garden of Eden and ends in a garden city. And all this in between, it's all about God trying to reconcile the world back to him. What an amazing, amazing God that we serve. Well, today, I want us to look at Otis. What? You all remember Otis from Andy and Mayberry, don't you? You remember, right? He was the town drunk. He would put himself in jail. Remember? He used to have the key hanging next to the jail cell. Remember that, right? He'd get a snootful, right? And he'd go in and he'd grab the key and he'd open it up. And he would reach in, lock himself in through the bars. Remember? And then he'd hang the key back up, didn't he? Well, you know, I started to think that there are times where I'm an Otis. Okay? I lock myself up. Sometimes, because I'm a moral failure, a moral failure. Sorry for this, I got allergies. I lament sometimes. Can I tell you, weeks on end, sometimes I think of myself, I'm such a terrible person. And I'm sitting in a cell that I made for myself, a cell of self-pity. You know, I I, I do this. I don't know if you've ever done this, the 3 a.m. movie. What I mean, you're laying in bed at night, and it seems like 3 o'clock in the morning, Anything that could go wrong goes wrong. You wake up and your mind's playing a movie in your head with all these different scenarios of what just (laughs) might happen, right? Which mostly 90% never do. You know, I sit there and go, how can God be happy with me? You know, I sit there and go, I let him down. He certainly won't be using me anytime soon. I don't know if you've ever done it. I cry out to God and I, I ask him to help me, help me not to partake in the action that I just did. And I sit Look at this. I sit and I sit in this cell until I feel I've suffered enough. And I've lamented enough that maybe that God has forgiven me. Well, I want to show you a video clip here. And as this scene opens up, it's Otis. You're going to see him starting to let himself out of jail. Because now he feels it's time to let himself out of jail. Well, our friend Barney has a few things that he wants me to do first. Just take a look at this.
Look too steady to me. I don't think he's sober. Well, he's all right. Well, I think we ought to make him take a sobriety test. You know, have him blow up one of them balloons or have his blood checked or something to see if he's steady. We don't even have any balloons. I got just the thing to see if he can maneuver. What's that? We'll make him jump rope. If we do that, then he's steady enough to be turned loose. All right, Otis, step outside. You ain't gonna string me up for just a little drinking, that ain't right. Don't be silly. This is a jump rope, Will. Oh, why didn't you... Jump rope. It's a sobriety test. Now, here, hold this end, and I'll show you. Oh, do I have to, Andy? It looks like. Either that or you tell us where you've been getting all that moonshine. Oh, I can't do that. Well, then you'll have to jump. It's just that simple. Oh. All right. Oh. Yeah. 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 You help turn. Okay. All right, watch careful, Otis. Okay, go ahead. Turn. <laughs> Call for the doctor. Call for the nurse. Call for the lady with the alligator purse. You don't see me doing that? They think I'm really drunk. You'll do it or you don't leave. Now get over there. Oh. Come on. Turn, Ann. Slow it down and let me in or I'll go out and get some juice. Now cut that out. You know, friends, when we break God's law, he doesn't make us jump rope for our freedom. We don't need to prove ourselves worthy to be forgiven because we're not. But Jesus is. Jesus is the one that's worthy. In Revelation 5, it says this. John says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures, the elders, a lamb, was standing as if it was slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. And purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them were myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessings and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. We are not worthy enough to free ourselves, but he is. There is nothing more for us to do to be free from our jail cell Okay, but to accept his sacrifice of forgiveness by accepting him into our lives. There is no do 
anything. It's already done. All other religions in the world are all about do. You got to do something, okay? You got to go out and prove yourself. You got to make yourself right in front of God. And Jesus said, it's already done. It's finished. I already did it. When I hung on the cross, I took everything. The price for your freedom and mine has been paid. And you know what Jesus wants? You know what he wants for you and I? He wants us to walk out of the cell. Matter of fact, I think he wants us to run out of it. He wants us to break any chains that have got us bound up. Walk out of the darkness that might surround you today and walk into his glorious light. Jesus came to set us free. Look what, he's, look what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and freedom, friends. Jesus has a life of glory awaiting for each and every one of us who just call on his name. Romans 10.13 says this. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, I'm telling you, it's a life. What kind of life? You wonder what kind of life it is to be let out of your prison, your cell, the things you don't forgive yourself for, the things you can't forgive others for. You know what what it's like? Okay, if you're keeping notes, here it is. It's a life of fulfillment. It's a life that's full of joy in the midst of agony. It's a life that is unhindered by the lies of the world. It's a light that is guided and strengthened through his Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. Look at Jesus didn't die and suffer on the cross because he had nothing else to do. Are you hearing me? He did it because he loves you and 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 even you. And me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Don't be in notice and keep locking yourself up. The key to your freedom, friends, the key to your freedom is just outside your cell. And it's within your reach. You can reach this key. Because you know what the key is? Take the key. It's Jesus Christ crucified. That's your key. That's the key out of anything in your life. Things that happened yesterday, things you're going to do today that are wrong, and things that will happen tomorrow. The key is Jesus Christ crucified. And set yourself free. That's the message that God's given me this morning to drive home. Set yourself free. It's time to lay it aside. It's time to keep locking yourself back up in the jail cell and sit there. It's time to walk in the freedom that he offers. Every time you find yourself heading back into that cell, remember this. I'm gonna, I call this my don't miss this. Okay? What this is, if you forget everything else I tell you this morning, I don't want you to miss this. All right? John 8, 36. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Hang on to That's a refrigerator verse right there. Okay? You can take that out. Of, you can pull that right out of the scripture and stick it, on, stick it on your refrigerator. Because it's God's amazing grace. You know, of all the songs that have ever been written in all languages, there's never been one that's been more recorded than Amazing Grace. Did you know that? 
But do you know the story behind it? In the 1700s, a man named John Newton was a captain in the British slave fleet. And it was a bloody trade. 20% or more of the captives died on every trip from Africa to the slave markets of Jamaica. And by all accounts, Newton was one of the worst sailors in this horrifying profession. He was so immoral that one former captain refused to even sail with him and his crew, calling him a Jonah, sure that God's going to bring a curse upon this vessel. And Newton was a staunch opponent to Christianity, denouncing God as a myth. Then one day, true story, ship was caught in the worst storm of Newton's career. Fearing for his life, he cried out to God, and he became a believer. His skeptical crew thought it was just another phony near-death conversion. But his faith stuck. As a matter of fact, he eventually left shipping and became a pastor in England. And it was there in January 1773 that Newton wrote song lyrics to accompany a sermon he was preaching. He meant to demonstrate to the church how he personally felt as he thanked God for his mercies. The song was originally called Faith Review and Expectation, but it became better known by the first two words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I'm going to show you a clip here from the movie of John Newton's life. And listen to the words that he shares about Christ and himself being a sinner. When you guys are ready. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, ports, people. Everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts, noises. We were apes. They were humans. Weeping. I couldn't weep till I wrote this. I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, will the go? 
We've lots of work to do, you and I. Powerful, huh? I'm a great sinner, and he's a great savior. Hallelujah. I'm the worst of sinners. He's the greatest of saviors. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounds much more. Through grace poured out in Christ, sinners can be made righteous and declared just before God. Friends, grace, it's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. Nothing in the world works this way. Absolutely nothing. In every system, whether it's education, whether it's sports, whether it's economics, whether it's business or the military, one must perform before receiving the verdict. You must complete the mission. You got to take the test. You got to win the game. You got to pay the debt. You got to complete the task before a verdict is declared. With the gospel, the verdict comes first. Christ declares us righteous. That means right in his eyes. He sees us right in his eyes because of the work that Christ did on the cross. Then we do good deeds in accordance to God's will to share that good news to others, so that those who are blind, we pray that God, that they may be able to see. Can I encourage you, you never want to reverse this. Another don't miss this. I usually only give one, but I got three this morning. Don't miss this. We must never believe or teach that God accepts us based on how we perform. This is so important. Christ performed in our place through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Incredible. It's incredible. Friends, in Genesis, Adam, he infected the world in a way that was almost inconceivable. It wasn't just a physical infection that he put into the world, but it was mental, it was moral, it was spiritual, and it was eternal. Passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to us. You know, there was a series that was on television. It was called The Last Ship. And it was, a, it was a Navy ship that was going around the world, okay? And the world was infected, and people were dying everywhere from a disease. And they were the, the only ship out there, and they were searching the world, trying to find the antidote before the whole population was wiped out. They're trying to find somebody who was immune to the disease. The immunity, of course, was found in the blood, the disease is in the blood. The Apostle Paul states in Romans 5, we have someone who is immune to what is destroying mankind. Paul states we have the blood that will eliminate the disease of death. It's Jesus Christ, the second Adam. He's the antidote. He's the antidote. The antidote is here. We all need a transfusion. We need to replace Adam's blood with Jesus' blood. The old blood with the new blood. It will transform the old you to a new you. As Paul told us when he was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creature. 
the old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Friends, the antidote's the gospel message, okay? You know what? It's the promise of the kingdom of, the kingdom of God. It's the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus told us as he walked out and started his, started his ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent back then didn't mean get down on your knees and do this. Repent meant walk away from this life and follow the life that I have for you. Just repent and believe. The gospel message is about a new society where we care and we love each other. We love our neighbors as our, yes. It's the new citizenship. We're just ambassadors here. We're just passing through because our home is in heaven. Everyone who calls upon the name of, of Jesus Christ is a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Is that not something to be excited about? And the biggest thing is Jesus is reigning right now on his throne. The antidote is as great as available to everybody on the whole planet. And guess what? There's no shortage. It's available to everybody and there's no shortage for it. It was injected into this world a little over 2,000 years ago. It's the antidote for depression. It's the antidote for unforgiveness. It's the antidote for health and finances and loneliness and fear and anger and self-centeredness. Eternal life, it's the antidote. In Luke 15, Luke 15 uses words from Amazing Grace in the story of the prodigal son. When the father says this statement, for the son of mine was dead and he has come to life again. He was lost, you know, and he's been found. And they began to celebrate. The father lavishes gifts on a son who's done nothing but bring shame to the family. He did nothing, but all he did was bring shame. That's what grace is. Did you know what grace is? If you're keeping notes, this is it. Grace is unearned, lavish gift of salvation for us sinners. It's unearned. Can you imagine Newton could never could have imagined that the words he intended as an autobiography about his life would echo in so many millions of people's lives? And can I tell you, in recent years, I have shed tears of gratitude myself singing that song. I'm thinking how I, I look back and I remember how lost I was and how blind I was. Now, here's the forgotten side of the prodigal son. It's the older brother. I call him the practical son. His words to his father are very telling. Luke 15, 29, if you're following. He says to the father, look. I mean, imagine, he goes, look, for many years I've been serving you. He's, he's, he's outside the house fighting with his father. All these years I've been serving you. I never neglected a command in years of years, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who's devoured your wealth and spent it on prostitutes, you kill a fattened calf for him? Can I tell you, sadly, Many joyless Christians see themselves exactly the same way, slaving like a servant instead of celebrating like a son. So they work harder and harder, trying to be good, desperate to earn the Father's attention and his approval, all the while blind to the fact that they already have what they're striving for. 
I can tell you, though, and I can relate to this so well, I relate to the younger brother at times. Don't get me wrong, but can I tell you, I spent most of my Christian life as the older brother. Oh, yeah, this is confession day for Pastor Fall. <laughs> can I tell you, I try so hard not to disappoint my Heavenly Father, yet I still live with an unshakable feeling I just wasn't doing enough. So I tried to pray longer. I tried praying on my knees. I read through the whole Bible several times, all the while looking over my shoulder, kind of spiritually, you know, wondering if my father was watching. Was he approving? Can I tell you, it all came to a head when I was a pastor, as I was pastoring a few years back, and I was beginning to burn out, and I was starting to become really bitter. And I'm yelling in prayer something like this in my head. I, was like, I said, all these years I've been slaving for you, God. I've never disobeyed a single order you ever gave me, any command. Yet I never get a party. How come everything works out for everyone else? How come these other churches' things work out? How come they don't have these issues and issues? How come, what, what's the deal? I've done everything you've asked me to do. Well, why are they celebrating? Where's my rewards? You know, in the parable, the father tries to correct his son, and I felt like Jesus said this right to me in Luke 15, 11. Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. It's all yours anyways, Paul. What's the matter? It's all yours anyways. My son was lost. He's back. You know what's wild about that story? The story ends there, you know. Jesus leaves everybody hanging right there. We never discover what the older brother's response was. That's because I believe Jesus was telling the story to a bunch of legalistic religious people, to an audience of older brothers. He's leaving the, the story unfinished because we need to finish it ourselves with our response to him. It's Jesus Christ, the second Adam. He's the antidote. It's nothing we can do to earn it. Did you hear what I said? We can't make the antidote. We can't. There is no other serum in the world to save our eternal souls. None. The antidote to the world's problems, friends, I want you to get out there. It's already here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The antidote is here, okay? It's the gospel message. Take a hold of the promises of the kingdom of God. Take a hold of this new society that Jesus has offered to us. Take a hold of your new citizenship. Take hold and let Jesus reign in your life. And the antidote, like I said, it's available to everyone. There is, there's plenty to go around. But, you, but here's the issue. Do you know how the antidote is distributed to your family? And how it's distributed to your friends and your co-workers and your golf buddies, you know, it's through you and me. We distribute the antidote. I love Luke 4. If you have Luke 4, open to that. And I'm going to change it around a little bit. Lord, I think you'll understand. This is what it's, I believe it's saying to all of us today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, because he's anointed you 
to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to celebrate and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, this is us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. The Holy Spirit is upon every believer who has ever given their heart to Jesus, every single one. And he says, go on out there. Bring, bring the good news to the poor. Not people poor in finances. Of course, that's still good. People are poor in spirit. People are just ready to give up on life. Bring them the good news. Tell them there's so much more. Help them break out of their cells, okay, with the message of freedom. Give them the key. There's a way out of the world that you lot yourself locked into, that you think there's no way out. There's a way out of it. You can help the blind see. You can set the downtrodden free. The key to your freedom, and you're going to, I'm going to say it again, is Jesus Christ. It's freedom from rejection. It's freedom from pride. It's freedom from guilt, unforgiveness. It's freedom from your past, from your addictions, from your fear, from your revenge, from your self-reliance, and from your trust. It's all found in one person only, and his name is? It's found in Jesus Christ. Look at One more, don't miss this, and this is an important one. This one really bothered me. This one hung on me because I think it really is the issue that we struggle with. The biggest obstacle in living a life in freedom in Jesus Christ is that we learn to do the time. And you go, what do you mean? I had a friend I was talking to recently who's been in prison. There's a chance he's going to have to go back again. And I was sitting there, I go, I'm so sorry to hear that. And he goes, that's okay, I've learned to do the time. What do you mean by that, I asked him. I learned how to make it work for me. I've learned to adapt. So I'm going to be okay, Paul. I'll be okay. I've learned. I've learned to do time. Can I tell you that I honestly believe so many believers that live in front of the cross are just, they learn to do time here. You know, to walk on that other side of that cross, to walk in the promise and some of the stuff that the Holy Spirit's probably going to ask me to do and take me out of my comfort zone. I don't know, I'll go back on the other side of the cross because I can do time here. I've kind of figured it all out. I know the suffering and the stuff and the, and the hardships and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I know how to do it here. I hope you're hearing me. But, you know, but to walk on the other side and all these unbelievable glory and promises, but he's going to ask me to do some things I probably don't want to do. Maybe I'll just stay here because I know how to do time. It's easier to live in front of the cross. So let me do this with you right now. There's a, a song that I, I want to play, and it'll be our final song, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray for each of you, and I have something special for each and every one of you too. But first, let's play this song and just look at the words when you guys are ready.